Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 7, issue 306, and it's our Final Fantasy 2 podcast. You can play along with the show. The next few games we have lined up for your pleasure include Resident Evil 2, Tenchu Stealth Assassins, remaining on the PS1 there. Following that, it's Yoshi's Woolly World. You could play the Wii U version or the 3DS version, I suppose. Following that, the much-requested Bioshock Infinite podcast. And after that, something a little different with actual sunlight. You can find the full schedule at canarince.com, as well as uh, links to our forum and so on. You can, of course, support us these days via our Patreon, patreon.com slash And if you do subscribe... For the minimum fee, which is just a dollar a month at the time of recording, that's 72p or 0.89 of a euro. You even get the show a week earlier than non-subscribers. Currently, uh, around about 2% of our listeners do so. If we could get that figure much, much higher, it would make everything so much uh, easier for us to carry on, make the show even bigger and better. So that's patreon.com slash There are other ways to support us, though. Shop.spreadshirt.co.uk, T-shirts and bags. We now also have a PayPal donate button on the site, and we also have an Amazon Associates button, which you can click through when you do your Amazon shopping, if you do Amazon shopping, and frankly, a lot of you do. Uh, You can go through. It won't change your experience any, but we get a little commission for you having gone via us, so look out for that at canorince.com. We also have another podcast, of course, Sound of Play, which is uh, all about our love of video games music. We share tracks. We have composers and guests on from the community and elsewhere. It really is a fine time. Subscribe, review and rate to that podcast and this one. And also, of course, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 306 are Joshua Garrity. Hello there. Leah Haydu. Hi. And John Salmon. Hi. We've got the Final Fantasy team back together, continuing our opus. Uh, and Squaresoft's opus, or uh, Squaresoft was actually the American arm. Square, Square now, Square Enix. So let's start by talking about which version of Final Fantasy 2 we've played. And let's start with returning Final Fantasy guest, John. Aha. Uh, yeah, I think I talked about this on the previous show. Yeah. Um, I played this uh, on my phone, so I guess it's the Android port. Right. I think is the PSP version or the Game Boy Advance version. It's one of the one of the remade ones from yeah. sort of fifteen odd years ago, I think. I hadn't played it until fairly recently. I mean, I've mentioned a lot on the previous show. The first Final Fantasy that I played a few years ago was the first one in the series that I've played. And I didn't really ever have any intentions of continuing until you were putting the schedule for last year together. And mm. I I was kind of a shoe in for the Final Fantasy One show after how much I've talked to with uh, Tony about it. Yep. And when it got lumped together originally with one and two, oh that's right. I then yeah. thought, oh yeah, I guess. Oh well, that would be a good excuse to play the second one and continue. So yeah, I've I've only come to it in the last year, mm. and really the majority of it only in about the last six or eight weeks. Regular listeners will know we had originally intended to do a Final Fantasy 1 and 2 to show uh, show to sort of reflect the fact that those two had been bundled together previously, uh, only on Game Boy Advance actually. But in the end, uh, I decided, we decided that both in terms of playing the game in the run-up to the show and also giving the sort of backstory discussion around Final Fantasy enough space and time, we decided to break them up into two shows. And then we also committed to continuing the series. And so here we are. So yes, Final Fantasy 2, Leah, which version and when? 
I've started Final Fantasy two half a dozen times, probably. Um, oh, yeah. I have only completed it once. And now the time that I completed it was on the um, it was on the PlayStation one version. Uh, but so it would have been the uh, the Final Fantasy Origins version. But I believe I was actually playing a downloaded version of that version on the um, the Vita TV or PlayStation TV or whatever they're calling it these right. days. Um, so that was the version that I actually did finish. Uh, I've also played the PSP version and the um, the Game Boy Advance uh, Dawn of Souls version. Um to varying extents uh i've I've had we'll we'll get into it but i've I've had some trouble really getting into Mm -hmm. this game um Mm -hmm. except uh except for that one time where i really committed and buckled down and finished it so um but that that was i i've i've got a little bit of experience with uh several different forms but the one i have the most experience with is that ps1 port right josh how about you um, yeah, so this is a short one from me. Um, uh, <laughs> I only played the uh, PSP version very recently. Fair enough. Uh, yes, I bought, as I said on the Final Fantasy 1 show, I bought Final Fantasy 1 and 2 on Game Boy Advance at some stage. Um, a f- after it was a few years old, I think, some some point in the 2000s, possibly even the 2010s. And, and, um, and uh, so I played that version. Uh, I did... Also owned Final Fantasy Origins on PAL back in the day, but uh, I never really got anywhere with uh, with that version. So, yes, I completed it this week. I believe, like Josh, I did fairly extensively use a walkthrough. Mm-hmm. I didn't play it in the in the purest format uh, of that game. Um, now, we'll, we'll obviously talk about the version differences somewhat, but the, the GBA versions onwards are considerably more player-friendly than the NES or Famicom, I should say, original. John, now I know we know from the previous show that you absolutely uh, tore Final Fantasy One a new one uh, when you played that. But did you go into this with uh, with a with a similar mindset, or was it a case of um, using a walkthrough and just getting through it so you could come on the show? <laughs> um, it was, I would say, a little from column A, a little from column okay. B. Um, I mostly didn't use a walkthrough. I did have a walkthrough at hand. And yep. I needed it a couple of times when, yes. you know, various things happen and the plot is like you fulfill your objective, go back to the town or whatever. And then yep. they say like, oh, go to this place. It's like, well, where's that? I've never heard of that before. Oh, it's yeah. miles away. The map is pretty big. Um, so I looked up a couple of times, well, where is this place it's telling me to go to that's on the opposite end of a continent that's full of enemies that seem a bit yeah. too tough for me to be going near yeah. and yeah, you know, I can mm-hmm. venture over in this direction, but it feels like I shouldn't. But so a couple of bits like that where I just check to see am I headed in the right direction. But for the most part, I just followed the context clues and you know explicitly given storyline and and sort of muddled it out for myself. Oh, good stuff. See, I tried to do that the first couple of times my cut short uh, attempts mm. at Final Fantasy two. But when I the it, it I guess it's been. Maybe a year or two ago, uh, when I did my 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 very determined, very focused uh, drive through uh, uh, Final mm. Fantasy two, I I had already had enough experience with it that I thought, you know, I this is the only Final Fantasy that I've never finished. I need to finish this. Wow. I really want to. So I 
that that was I I actually have sitting in front of me. Um, I have two strategy guides for Final Fantasy uh, two. There's mm-hmm. the uh, there's the PS one Final Fantasy guide, uh, the Origins one that has one and two in it, and then there's the uh, the PSP uh, Final Fantasy two guide, uh, and I have both of those. And I, I oh, don't. Wow. Yeah, I, I I assume that I must have used the Origins one because it would have been closer to the version that I played. But um, yeah, but yeah, I was not messing around with that. I sat down with a strategy guide and said okay i am finishing this game and um yeah i so i i was pretty linked into the guide on on this one fair enough yes mm. i i used an online guide fairly extensively and as i say i understand there may be purists listening to this and maybe people who are massive fans of this game and uh, and they may be disappointed or upset that we've used walkthroughs but frankly uh it's 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 i think it's a real challenge to beat this without one at all and uh, obviously we have time constraints and, mm-hmm. and things like that to consider so although we might not necessarily get the most authentic experience we do at least experience the whole game um and yes we're also aware that the gba version onwards uh does actually fix and smooth over quite a lot of the issues that were present and just the general sort of ui and interface stuff that would have been considerably uh more challenging to our soft modern uh, selves uh, the, in, in the original japanese uh, famicom version or even a, an emulated fan translated version so yes we've we've done it the uh, we've done it relatively the easy way but um but i think i the hope easy way is still pretty understand. difficult for mm. this game to be fair yeah, yeah it's, it's still it's got not still got short. its challenges Mm. No, there's that too. Yeah, I, f- I found that um, just muddling it out was a real it was a real sort of double edged sword situation. Where I mean, there were a lot of points very early on, particularly in the game, where if you wander even just a few random squares oh, beyond do the bits you should be, <laughs> I mean, you just get destroyed. And there was some soul crushing moments where I spent fifteen or twenty minutes heading in a direction, and then suddenly got into a, a fight because I'd walked slightly beyond the, you know, invisible boundaries that you're supposed to go and just got wiped. But on the other hand, because I was messing about, I probably found myself getting quite over-leveled quite early on. Yes. There was actually one point that I found where it was, uh, in the guide, it was, don't go here, don't go to this southern tip of this peninsula, because just on these two squares, you're going to encounter monsters that are way higher level than anywhere else in the vicinity. And I actually used that when I was just about leveled up enough to take them on mm. to grind. So, yeah, uh, well, we'll get more into the pattern of play and all mm. that sort of thing. Bit of backstory first. So obviously we covered off the the famous backstory behind the original game, but Final Fantasy was a hit. And so Square quickly got to work on a sequel involving uh, many of the same team, including director Hironobu Sakaguchi. Uh, Many of the other names uh, will be familiar from that previous show, including uh, Kazuko Shibuya on graphics and Nasir Gabelli on programming. And of course, obviously, Nobuo Uematsu uh, composing the music. They turned this game around pretty quickly and it came out around one year after the original game so this was released only in japan originally on the famicom december the 17th 1988 so 29 years and change at the time of recording there was at some point intended to be a u.s translation for the you know the fairly massive u.s nes market 
1990, Squaresoft, the North American subsidiary, began work on an English language localization to be called Final Fantasy II Dark Shadow over Palakia. Uh, assigned to the project was one Kaoru Moriyama. Uh, later work included script translations for Final Fantasy IV and Secret of Mana. A beta was produced and the game was advertised in several trade publications, um, but the long development time, the age of the original game, and the arrival, of course, of the Super Nintendo, the uh, successor console, led Square uh, to cancel the work on Final Fantasy 2 in favour of the recently released Final Fantasy 4, which, to avoid confusion, <laughs> was retitled Final Fantasy 2. And it didn't cause any confusion at any stage uh, anymore. We've done well. We haven't had any feedback regarding Final Fantasy IV, uh, which I was kind of thinking maybe we'll get some American correspondents telling us about their time with Final Fantasy IV for this one. But uh, but I think now I think now it's been cemented that uh, that Final Fantasy II in the US was in fact Final Fantasy IV. So a prototype cartridge of the English translation NES Final Fantasy II was produced. Uh, the project was far from complete. Uh, Moriyama said, we had so very limited memory capacity we could use for each game and it was never really translating but chopping up the information, cramming it back in and our boss had no understanding of putting in extra work for the English version at that time. So it didn't happen. The game did come some time later, 13 years later, to the Wonderswan colour. Still a Japan-only release. And then that PS1 version finally came out in October 2002 in Japan. And the first official English language releases for Final Fantasy II were in March and April 2003. And uh, that was on the PlayStation, of course. Uh, it was released under the title Final Fantasy Orange, Origin, <laughs> Oranges. <laughs> there it is. Uh, it was released with new graphics, music, FMV, and a brand new translation under supervision of one Akira Kashiwagi. The fan translation already existed, of course, but uh, it wasn't used for that official release. GBA version, the one that I played, came out in 2004, summer in Japan, winter in the rest of the world. There's a couple of obscure Japan releases in uh, for iMode and EasyWeb in 2005 and Yahoo in 2006. Anyway, then the, P the PSP version uh, polished further still with uh, reincorporating that FMV from the PS1 version, which the GBA version didn't have for obvious reasons. So that was 2007, 2008. Then it came out, the Japanese version re-emerged on Wii VC, completely unchanged as it was in the original in 2009. Then those mobile versions, iOS 2010, Android 2012, and then it arrived again in its original form, on Wii U Virtual Console, the original Japanese Famicom game, in February 2014, and even that's four years ago now. I think it's fair to say that this game is probably the least well-reviewed game of all the Final Fantasies. I'm not including the the side games, the guide ends and the and the spin-offs and whatever. Talking about the mainline numbered games, uh, this the, most reviews that I could find were for the PSP version. Obviously, the game was already 20 years old at that point, best part of, uh, but it reviewed at 64.69% from 31 reviews. The iOS version reviewed a little better uh, with fewer reviews some years later, 74.71%, but uh, overall, uh, not the usual scores that you'd expect from a number numbered Final Fantasy game. We'll talk about why that might be, but let's first hear from the forum, Simon Sloth says, I set off on a personal quest many years ago to play all of the numbered Final Fantasy games. 
Bizarrely, this was in reaction to renting Final Fantasy VIII from Blockbuster and enjoying it, but finding out that when I went to buy it, it was too expensive. A few years later, Final Fantasy Origins was released on the PlayStation for a very modest price. Admittedly, I've never been very good at RPGs and often use brute force and luck to get through. I was never one to delve into the complex item and magic systems, so this perhaps made things a bit tricky. With this in mind, I had my trusty sword and shield at my side, which took the forms of a glossy Prima paperback walkthrough guide and an action replay cheat device, respectively. I would use these to complete every Final Fantasy game up until the 10th iteration. To be honest, it probably sapped tension and excitement away, but I enjoyed exploring the world and sweeping aside bosses with little effort. I appreciate this makes me sound like the least resilient gamer, but I found they actually made me finish games in a genre I probably wouldn't have entertained without them. I also remember these were the first game games I had encountered since Sensible Soccer, which let me rename everybody, so I grew attached to Conrad, Graham and Tamsin. Embarrassingly, my brother would bring this up in my best man speech, as these were the names 13-year-old me wanted to call my children. It's quite nice that I started here, as it was great to be able to appreciate the evolution of the series in terms of graphics and ideas. It's quite a simple game and a simple story, but it's a good platform for anyone starting out in this genre, because its mechanical simplicity makes it more accessible. I must confess, however, that along the way there were moments when I had no idea what was going on and ended up consulting my guidebook for help. Didn't we all, Simon Sloth? Let us start with initial impressions of graphics and art. So we'll be mainly talking about uh, later versions rather than the Famicom original. I've had a look uh, at people playing the Famicom original. It looks pretty basic. A lot of black uh, backgrounds rather than, um, you know, pretty uh, landscapes and uh, 8-bit sprites, as you'd expect. And I'm sure it was more than serviceable for the time. You know, obviously, they did put a lot of uh, effort into the sprite art. Whether it has had as, as long spent on it as the first game, can't be sure. Uh, coming to it now on the GBA, um, it looks incredibly similar to the first game. It doesn't particularly look like a leap forward. Uh, they were brushed up at the same time, and it shows 16-bit type sprites. Looks very much like the early Super Nintendo games. Very easy on the eye, quite similar simplistic um, but not quite as boxy and blocky as uh, as its 8-bit forerunner. Yeah, I, I think that um, for the more modern versions, uh, we tend to see one and two kind of, if not packaged together, then at least presented together. Like they're, mm -hmm. they kind of tend to hang around each other is, uh, yeah. is sort of what I'm going for here. So they do look very similar. And when we look at the fact that the turnaround time between Final Fantasy 1 and Final Fantasy 2 on original release was so fast, I imagine yeah. that they probably did reuse a lot of assets. Or if they didn't actively reuse the assets, then I'm sure that they utilized at least some of the work that had been done uh, yeah. in order to uh, mm. to kind of get that out the door a little bit faster. So I, I'm not surprised that they they kind of recall each other. Um, and, and I think that they they're they're fine for the era. Uh, I didn't have any big problems with any of the, the looks. I, I don't think that there's much there that stands out uh, a whole lot. But um, yeah, I think I think that they are they, they look white like what you would expect an early jrpg in in that kind of era to look like i like that the character designs are much more distinctive now whereas yeah, yeah. in final fantasy one you've got knight you've got ninja you've got very generic kind of fantasy designs here we've got people with names like kieran like guy which is a boring name but it's a name <laughs> which are which i'll take and they've got portraits you know they've got that yeah. you, you know there's a there's there's 
an attempt to kind of inject everyone in this world with a bit more personality than there was in the previous game. Yeah, and the characters have all got specific stories and the core group of the, well, three, but really four of them all have a, a shared lineage. And yeah, I, I liked how it felt a bit more, well, the story felt much more well thought out. I mean, it's not really, but it felt more well thought out than the first game that was kind of like, yeah, go do this, kill some monsters. Yeah, and like I, I think that's important to emphasize. I, we are talking about scraps on a bone um, yeah. in terms of storytelling and and kind of characterization. The the I say like these are, you know, it's compare, it's judging it on a curve. Basically, the first game gave us almost nothing in terms of character and personality, and like I'd I'd hardly class any of these as you know these people as like three dimensional characters. But having something, just something distinctive, and just like have like having them have their own unique look, rather than just you know falling into kind of archety- very recognizable archetypes, was just a little something that was appealing to me. Because the I mentioned there that the PS One and then the PSP versions, and I presume the mobile versions and other subsequent versions as well, have the FMV, the uh, sort of anime style animation that they made for that late '90s version. The GBA version, released in 2003 odd, doesn't have those, as I said, for obvious reasons. But what it does have is some quite uh, sweet and I would say well drawn and and um, realized. 16-bit style animated cutscenes. So uh, that that I actually find for me, I think that was one of the reasons I wanted the GBA versions as opposed to the PSP or PS1 versions was because it felt more of a natural fit to have pixel art and 16-bit style, even though it was originally an 8-bit game, uh, animation than when I've played some of those other Square games where they've sort of crowbarred in FMV. Sometimes it's very nice FMV in its own right, but it doesn't quite feel a good fit for a for an 8 or 16 bit game to me. In addition to that, I don't really think that that FMV has aged all that well. The PS1 right. era FMV, it doesn't look bad, but mm. it is not up to the standards if you've been playing any more recent um Square games or Final Fantasy games uh mm. then they have some Gorgeous. Like if you I've recently picked up um the uh Dissidia Final Fantasy and man, if you just watch some of those, whatever you think about the game and just the the actual animations <laughs> that they have are just stunning. They're really nice. Uh and and then kind of to go back for the era they were okay, but going back to like the PS1 mm-hmm. um kind of cutscenes, they're they're not great uh anymore. By comparison, it's odd because the the sixteen bit stuff has has aged better in in yeah. my opinion. Like uh, that 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 look has become in recent years because of the rise of retro games. That's just become a look, like an accepted mm-hmm. kind of aesthetic choice. Whereas the kind of PS One CG stuff, it's aiming for photorealism, and because we're kind of at the early stages of that technology, it's just it looks to, a little bit alien. And, yeah. and the cutscenes anime though. Or I thought they were actual traditional 2D cell animation rather no. than... No, they're oh, CG. No. Oh, okay, because I'm thinking about the Chrono Trigger yeah. uh, stuff, which was done in the style of actual Japanese cartooning. So this mm. is, oh, rendered stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. well, that, that that's, yeah. I'm glad that, I'm happy with the choice I made then. <laughs> because it's been quite a while since I played Final Fantasy 1, I'm my memories are in the hazy sort of area, but... 
You mentioned, uh, I think, Leah, about potentially asset reusing and stuff for this game because of the quick turnaround. Mm. Um, did anybody pick up on whether or not a lot of the enemies were reused and the sprites and stuff? Because in my mind, I couldn't mm. think of very many that I saw in this game that I remembered from the first game. I could only think of a few specific examples, but I feel like they must have reused some of the the really basic, like the goblins and the leg eaters and things. I believe that they did, uh, and... Um... I, I'm not completely sure about this, but I believe that they did reuse some of those um, or at least, you know, tweaked them a bit um, and and kind of use them that way. Uh, and and that's in the Final Fantasy series in general. A lot of enemies repeat and they yeah. don't always mm. look the same, but you it's will see. It's one of see... the things that ties the games together, isn't it? Yeah, the the exactly. Enemies. So I, this might be where that started, where they, you know, were bringing back yeah. some things and, you know, since they were reusing them, that could be, you know, something that would carry then forward into uh, into future games. Uh, but yeah, I, I, certainly not all of the enemies were reused, but I, I believe that at least a few of them were. Yeah, I'm interested. Is there, is there anything? Obviously, we we have to bear in mind going back to 1987, 88. This is Final Fantasy two, so there have been no nothing had been set in stone about what a Final Fantasy game was at that stage, other than what they decided to do in these first games. Is there any suggestion at all anywhere this exists in the same universe? What what is it that ties Final Fantasy one to two, other than the the interface, the look of it, the names of certain items, and the names possibly of certain enemies? It's not actually that there's no explicit connection between the stories. The first game has its own world and land and this game has its own world and land. So is this the one that set that concept in motion that every Final Fantasy will be a different thing? Or did you get the impression that this is another story set in the same universe kind of thing? I'm not really sure. The the world to me felt quite similar. There's the same... Um... I don't know what the best way to describe it is. I suppose like the the sort of period of history or the aesthetic of their, yeah. their timeline feels the same. It's clearly like a medieval style world, but they have airship technology, which I guess, I mean, we're far advanced from that, but the air, we've never used airships quite like they have in these games that are pretty much sailing ships that go mm-hmm. that fly. And it's it's got that exact same aesthetic. It feels like it could be just, you know, another continent in the same world. Yeah, yeah. In that respect, from sort of a time and place and aesthetic look of things. Well, one thing that also ties a lot of the Final Fantasy experiences together, of course, is Uematsu-san's music. Blue All Day from the forum says, like most Final Fantasy games, Nobuo Uematsu's music has some incredible highlights. The Rebel Army theme is solid, as is the battle theme, but the standout themes are Ancient Castle, a track full of energy and wonder that communicates unification and optimism, and The Princess's Seduction, a skillfully covered version of Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake, showing the potential of game music. My experience of the music in this game was similar to the first game, bearing in mind, of course, that I'm playing it on a little tiny Game Boy Advance cart, which has two games crammed onto it, and it's a port of two 8-bit games. So the music was actually uh, reworked and rearranged to some extent uh, by uh, Tsuyoshi Sekito, who actually first remixed the tunes or rearranged the tunes for the Wonderswan color version and then the PS1 and those GBA arrangements, which are the versions you'll hear now on uh, any version that you get, the mobile or PSP ones, whichever you play. And yeah, so at least on the GBA version, there were some lovely tunes and I could hear that there were some, you know, great melodies in there waiting to get out some classical stuff. But my experience was compromised by the sound of 
the Game Boy Advance micro that I was playing the games on. So it makes them quite tinny or hissy if you put headphones in and just the length of them as well was just meant that they repeated a lot. There aren't mm. that many tunes. You unlock a music player when you complete the game and I think it only had about 30 odd tracks on it, which for a 30 hour game is, uh, isn't many. So yeah, some, some beautiful composition, but technically not really the best way to experience those, I suppose, from my point of view. Mm. I, I struggled with playing this on my phone. Um, and I don't know if this is specific to other, other platforms, but I found that there was nowhere in the options on my phone to change the sounds and stuff. And I would have liked to turn the um, the music up compared to the in-game sounds, especially because oh, right. all the button presses are like little bells, like really jarring little beeps oh. and bloops <laughs> noises. And they <laughs> seemed very, very loud. And mm. when you're in the middle of a battle, um, apart from just turning the overall sound on my phone down, I wanted to adjust yeah. the levels compared to each other. And it also meant that I couldn't turn the sound down if i was grinding and stick uh podcast or music or anything on in the background because the sound of, of the game just defaulted to whatever the sound of the right. you know okay. the media on the phone was so uh, that really drove me crazy actually oh right yeah i played a lot of this game with the gba's sound muted and something else going on in my ears i'll confess i did uh, yeah. as with the previous game i listened to every tune at least a, a good number of times but mm. there comes a point where you've heard that battle theme uh, mm. or the, yeah. the theme that repeats one too many times yeah josh what do you what did you make of the music i, I mean i I, f I feel similarly to you i listened to the music as much as i could tolerate like it was good music <laughs> but like even the best music gets a bit uh irritating after you've heard it the 20th time and um yeah after mm. that it was podcast on um you know grinding through dungeons mm. leah any further thoughts i like the music from final fantasy 2 but yeah. i like it when i hear it like remixed in theater or not even remixed but you know in more in isolation like in theater rhythm or uh, or similar um, and I, it's great in the games as well, but like everybody else is saying, the repetition, especially in a game that is as grind heavy as this one is, um, yeah, it does get to be a little much after a while. As you would probably expect, even back in the 80s in Japan, an arranged album of the music from the two soundtracks from the first two games titled Symphonic Suite Final Fantasy came out in 1989. Uh, while Final Fantasy and Final Fantasy II original soundtrack, a combined soundtrack for the PlayStation versions, was released in 2002, and demand was such that it was re-released in 2004. Uh, music of Final Fantasy II has also appeared in various concerts and live albums, such as, I don't actually know how you say this, this is some Final Fantasy weirdness thing, 20020220 music from Final Fantasy, it's, that's, that's actually what it's called. Um, a live Great. recording of an orchestra performing music from the series, including several pieces from these games. Uh, several songs of the game were performed as part of a medley by the Royal Stockholm Philharmonic Orchestra for the Distant Worlds Music from Final Fantasy concert tour, while a different medley uh, from the game were performed by the New Japan Philharmonic Orchestra in the Tour de Japan. Japan, I think that should be music from Final Fantasy. So there are lots of ways of listening to music that isn't just the same loop of 8 or 16-bit music played over and over and over again um, which probably demonstrate 
the quality of the compositions much better. I want to talk very briefly about the sound design for this game. You've sort of mentioned it there, John, the actual the sounds and the menus and stuff. Um, I'm probably talking more. I think the I've, I've heard the original Famicom version. And as you'd expect, it's it's more 8-bitty. It's uh, it's less sophisticated sound, more beeps and bops and, you know, that kind of thing. The 16-bit sort of variation, which is, I guess, the version you'll hear on PlayStation as well. I imagine the sounds are quite similar. Um, maybe on GBA, they're slightly less sophisticated, more 16-bit. Um, but there are some really uh, comfortingly familiar sounds, having played other games in the series later on and having played its predecessor. And I do think that actually one thing that does make the grinding less intolerable or more tolerable is the sounds of uh, hits and critical hits and the magic spells have cool jingles that go with them and like different whoop 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 noises and you know all, all kinds of there's there's probably a lot more going on in audio than actually I think I was giving it credit for and thinking about what was sometimes a bit of a drudge uh, actually hearing those those really crisp sword noises and things like that was actually something that kept it less than completely lacking in pleasure yeah i'd I'd also go along with the um i think all of the magic and i used a lot of different magic spells in this they've all got very recognizable little tinkles and they saw i mean there's definitely an evolution somewhere i don't know if it's with all the spells but as some of them get more powerful they get a an even more kind of jazzed up uh, sound of the music and when i first heard it when my my ice spell or whatever got to level nine and it played a slightly different thing. I was like, Oh, that's mm. something interesting and new, yeah. especially cause you've heard it a billion times by that point. Yeah. anyway. Yeah. And I actually found that I was saying there that I was playing with the GBA mute, but actually what I would do is have it like just on one or two notches of sound so that even if I couldn't really hear the whole soundscape, I could hear the very top end notes of the swords and things like that. So there was that sense of connection, which actually helped my enjoyment of battering the same enemies over and over and over again. You can you can tell as well because when you do one hit, when your attack is kind of crap and it just does one hit instead of five or six, you just hear the one clock and you sort of think, oh, that wasn't so great. If you're only half paying attention to it while you're grinding or something, sort of brings mm-hmm. you back in a little bit. I did the same all... as you. I turned it down to a very yeah. you know respectably low level and then just put streams and stuff on the tv in the background there's also that satisfying visual uh flash that you get for a critical hit which i still mm. think you know it's a very simple thing but it it does uh, it does have the desired effect i think shall we move on to the scenario and story there's going to be a different one of these for every final fantasy we cover we should give you a spoiler warning listeners you may not want to know what happens in Final Fantasy 2. If so, go off and play it and come back and listen. I think it's fair to say that the scenario and story is somewhat less classic. I suppose if the original game was, I wanted to say the monomyth, the hero's journey, but it's not because it's the quadro myth, isn't it? There's four of them. And I suppose that's true here as well. But it's it's got its basis in that. But this is a this is a darker story, I guess, than the original. Uh, war is a theme. I think uh, not that Star Wars was the first to tell this story, but I think to our generation or my generation and, and younger, this particular story of a a big evil empire wanting to take over the land and enslave the people and, you know, rule through fear while a plucky band of uh, rebels try to disrupt their progress in that cause uh, is, yeah, it's familiar from George Lucas's uh, writings and uh, and films. And um, 
Yeah, and it's surprisingly... I guess this is, you know, people talk about Aeris's death. This game has a number of characters who join your party and they nearly all die. It's a, an interesting story in that it's often, yeah, there's another side of it where you can look at something like Star Wars and I was like, are the Empire really, you know, in these situations, are they really this sort of evil, all-encompassing thing? And is it not the rebels that are kind of kicking off and causing Terrorists. trouble and killing? Yeah, kind of that respect. But you look at this story and the Empire in this have opened the gates of hell to swarm the land with demons. I mean, it's it's a little bit less... Um, Shades of here. Yeah. The thing that I find appealing about this this narrative, whereas like I, I got nothing from Final Fantasy One, is they do pepper the game with loads of personalities. And like you know, I don't think these are the best characters in the world. Like I think they're you know sketches rather than detailed drawings. But there are you know I grew to you know have some affection for some of these people along the way and there were some deaths where i was a little bit gutted like uh, mm. joseph uh, mm-hmm. is a character um you're introduced around the kind of uh, you, you get him into your party around the snow snow cave area the northern area one of his unique features is that he uses his bare fists. Um, that's when he's most effective, is just using his bare fists to beat down enemies. And that little detail, like, oh, this guy's most effective when he's unarmed, it's it's just a, a little something that gives him personality, and he just comes off as this kind of wise badass. And then he dies because of this boulder, and he's, you know, he's trying to stop it with his bare hands. He's like, go, 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 everyone go, I'll, I'll stop it. And he dies trying to save you all that's a nice little moment and like i you know again i've seen it done better elsewhere but you know going from one to this where i'm actually invested was it felt like night and day mm. and given how people were distressed by a playable character dying a decade on from this i imagine obviously it's hard for us to know because we weren't we didn't play this at the time back in uh, 88 but it would have been, I think, a fairly unusual scenario where you were playing a video game with a story and protagonists actually were you know, taken, they were given, you were given control of them and then that control was taken away by them dying in the narrative. Something that you can definitely say about this game and that, that kind of made me think of this is that they do, if nothing else, um, they really are a lot more ambitious with Final Fantasy 2 than they were with Final Fantasy 1. And that, for me, that kind of goes both ways. Like, some of the things that they tried um, did very well and, uh, you know, came come back in in, uh, subsequent entries in the series. Some of the things didn't really work out and this is the last time that we see them and i'm thinking specifically of the keyword system that oh uh-huh. god um <laughs> well, I, I don't know if we want to talk about that now or not but we're the, coming up to the it. general mm-hmm. idea behind um behind what i'm what i'm thinking is that they threw a lot at the wall here and some of it mm. stuck some of it didn't necessarily but you can't say they didn't amp up their game for this one yeah, ambition shown when they had such yeah. such a. I, I mean, not that uh, one year was such a short development cycle back in the eighties, but for an ambitious game, an RPG, uh, it 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 still it still was, and and it was a relatively small team at this point as well. I think the team expanded quite a bit between two and three, but at this point, it was still pretty much the same core team. The Green Flea from the forum, 
says the biggest thing I remember from Final Fantasy 2 is how different it felt from Final Fantasy 1. No character choice or blank slates. The characters are who they are, although you can rename them. Uh, I think the game is better for it as you're brought along with the characters. You find out who they are as written and can empathise with them. Of course, one little wrinkle, and this is the sort of uh, detail we like to cover on Kane and Rince, depending on which version you're playing, you might find that different people have different names. So uh, Firion is is normally, the, but actually it was Freon, Frioniel in the original version. Maria is always Maria. Guy used to be Guy, G-A-I, and is sometimes Gus in the, PS, in the PS1 version, I think. Um, Leonard became Leon, which is obviously a cool name for a game protagonist. Uh, Gordon was originally Gordon, and Joseph was Yosefu in Japanese, and Layla was Rayla. Uh, Mingwu, the white mage, uh, was uh, became Minwu, and indeed Mindu. And Ricard Highwind is also known as Ric- Ricardo Highwindo, of course, Gareth, Edward, and just simply Richard. So let's get into that gameplay stuff. Let's talk about the character progression first, because I think this is... You know, having looked at some YouTube videos and some essays about this game, this is where the the controversy lies. And I, I kept thinking about Zelda two when we when we when we decided to do this game because although this doesn't make as big a genre leap or gameplay leap from uh, from Final Fantasy one as Zelda two did from the original The Legend of Zelda, it's similar in that, as I said earlier, they didn't have the the template wasn't completely set by the first game. In fact, if anything, they would have been, Leah mentioned ambition, they would have been attempting to expand and improve upon what they'd done before. And one of the decisions that they made was to not stick with what was a pretty simplistic levelling up system. And in fact, although it's the pretty simplistic levelling up system that Final Fantasy and many JRPGs have fundamentally returned to with extra systems layered on top and that sort of thing here they went for something a bit different so ahead of you know some years ahead of the first elder scrolls game and i don't even know if arena actually used the doing things to make yourself better at them system this game went for that it went for the if you attack things with swords your sword level will go up if you punch things your punching level will go up josh mentioned joseph being good with his fists actually you can make everybody really good with their fists if you want to if you use them enough um but obviously the i, I think the the element of this that causes the most consternation among fans and jrpg players is the fact that to be good to get good defense you have to take damage and not heal it i guess that that in the in its in its simplest form is is why this game is weird and peculiar yeah absolutely uh if you if you want more hit points you have to lose hit points it's it's counterintuitive in a way and it leads to a lot that I, I don't really think that they likely designed this game with the intent of you're going to have your party members attack each other but that's kind of the most efficient way to do it uh, in fact it could be argued that that's really the only efficient way to do it uh is to have your party members attack each other uh, and it, it it helps a lot progression wise if you can yeah, get it practice into, healing yeah. slap oh, yeah <laughs> basically yes like if you if you can get into a fight with um if you can get into a fight with a low level monster and then just kind of ignore the monster and have your party members beat the crap out of each other then you're going to end up better off than if you just killed the monster it's very yeah. weird I have never heard of this. This is new to me. I absolutely dreaded there were about four or five different enemy types in the game that I disliked. And the reason I disliked them was because they were the ones that cast some sort of spell on you that 
was either a charm or a confuse or something that then yeah. got you to attack your teammates. So I'd have my party of four all with, say, 1,500 to 3,000 hit points. And, you know, I'd go into a battle and every single battle, I'd be confident I'll just wail on all these enemies. This will be done in no more than about three or four turns, even if I'm messing about. But as soon as I got someone who was charmed and they then turned on the other person and smacked them and did like 10 hits for 1,200 points and my character who otherwise was pretty much invulnerable to the to the enemies because of how powerful they were suddenly started cutting through each other like that they were the enemies that put the fear of god into me that would have helped that would have helped you actually as long as <laughs> you came out of the fights having taken the damage and not having healed up maybe, maybe yeah maybe this was a sort of a full you know uh, what's got brains fired um yeah maybe maybe this is a a downfall that I had because I found that everybody was incredibly powerful, but there were certain things that really, um, really did knock my uh, knock my uh, yeah. defense down, and maybe that was part of the problem was that I hadn't been mucking about like this, so I, I never got particularly high defense despite sticking all of the best equipment on everybody and ah. figuring. Yeah, all see, of that that's out. one of the things. If you read a walkthrough, and again, we should stress we've all played one of the more contemporary versions. The original yeah. version was way harsher in every way, yes. much higher encounter rates. Uh, it took you much longer to level anything up. Um, it was a, you know, a real trudge, mm. um, a, a real slog for, for many people. Mm. Uh, and I'm sure there are people out there who absolutely loved that slog and that trudge as well. But we've, we've played a, a, a very much a smoothed over and softened version. But I was forewarned with a guide that, well, firstly about the thing about you know, hitting hitting yourself. So what I did was my, my method was to simply um, grind a lot at the start of the game and then not really worry about grinding the rest of the time, which is which works. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I basically said, right, my first sort of four to five hours of this game are, are going to be grinding and then hopefully I won't have to worry about grinding ever again. And that's true. But also one of the things I read early on was don't equip really good defensive items because your defense won't get better. So you, you're actually, you're, you're over shielding yourself. Now, obviously the version you've played, John, that it, it, I think they made it so that you could basically play it more like a, a Final Fantasy game, bearing in mind that this was, these tweaks were made for the 1999 PS1 version. Mm. People had already played the games on the Super Nintendo and some of the, the PS1 games. So I think they, they tweaked the system somewhat so that you could play it more like a traditional Final Fantasy, well, more like what people were used to playing as a Final Fantasy game. But actually, if you went back and played Final Fantasy 2, you would have to deal with a whole extra layer of, of quirks and, and oddities and weirdnesses. I probably just went through with the what felt intuitive to me was, oh, this, uh, this piece of armor is better stats than that one, so stick yeah. that on. But I, yeah, I definitely had a... I mean, mm. it, it, I didn't feel like I was underpowered against the enemies there were very very few enemies in the game that gave me any sort of trouble at all mm. um but yeah whenever i got charmed or confused and was hitting each other I was doing massive amounts of damage and part of that probably put down to how strong i got all of my characters like they were all mm. really really powerful and i i went through with the partly because of probably grinding early on and getting lost and messing about and getting more leveled up than i needed to be and walking everywhere instead of taking the the boat and stuff that it gives you the option to die. I went back and forwards between those two cities that you can get the boat from so yeah. many times leveling up and level. Mm. I leveled up all of my spells. I decided as soon as I realized at the beginning 
that you could give any character any spell. I mm. had everybody in my party always at least had uh, the healing spell, the one that yeah. brings them back to life, and each of the three elemental attacks. And I leveled all of them up pretty high. So by the time I was at the end of the game, my three core characters all had like level 10, I think it's cure, and yeah. levels 7, 8, 9 of all of the elemental damage. So yeah. I very quickly got to the point where none of the enemies gave me any trouble. So I guess it didn't matter that my defense wasn't that great. Yeah, we should say there's no Cura or Curaga or whatever in this. You just have yeah. a spell and the more you use it, the better it gets, the more levels it goes up. The other thing, I, I wanted to ask about this, just in case this was something that I didn't get right. So when I had the I had the damage spells and stuff, I could never get them to damage like the whole group instead of just one. I assumed, oh, as it levels up, you know, once it gets to, once this fire spell gets no, to level select five. select all up on the D-pad on, on, on traditional versions. I don't know what it would be on mobile. Right, I um, never I did that once. I, oh, wow, that's yeah. astonishing. Yeah. Um, I spent most of the game doing that. Uh, I don't know if the... the I think so, one of the other things that was sort of smoothed over for the PS1 and subsequent versions was the yeah, the interface and the actual... The, the controls, obviously, it just everything moves a lot faster. A lot of the, the things like sorting items and stuff like that, I doubt yeah. was in the Famicom original. And, yeah, the sort of tab up to select all, whether it's all you, all your party or all the enemies, all that stuff, um, I think oh, that's were... that's quite embarrassing. Niceties. Well, you've done incredibly well. You didn't understand the, the how the game well, worked. I, I assumed for like the first half of the game, it was like, oh, it's all right. Once this blaze or fire or whatever it is, once I it gets to mean. level five, I had six, the same thought, but eventually I tried something out. Because I, yeah, yeah. I had enemies who were like casting level eight fire at the beginning and it damaged everybody in my party. I was like, okay, well, once it gets to level eight, probably either that or there'll be another spell. It won't just be fire. It will be fire raga or something like it was in the first yeah. game. Mm. And I just, yeah, I did. I brain farted on that entirely, I guess. Speaking personally, like, I, I, I want to add the context that, like, you know, I had a walkthrough too, so I was pre-warned. I, I actually really love this system, um, mm. and I, I wish it would come back. Um, like, even the silly stuff where you're, you know, beating on, you know, beating each other up in order to level up defense, I just saw, like, you know, that engaged my kind of role-playing mind, and I was like, well, th these guys are sparring with each other. They're training each other. Like, they're trying yeah. to toughen each other up. Like, I could see the kind of story justification for that and i really liked it and just like using stuff to level it up is a mechanic that i i love whenever it turns up in games um you know the ratchet and clank games do that with their weapons and stuff like that just encouraging you to use these abilities and all these different kinds of magic in order to get more powerful versions so you're kind of rewarded for varying up your tactics and uh, rewarded for not just kind of jamming x and and making them attack people over and over again like you you want to kind of use berserk and and um, and use protect in some earlier fights where you don't really need to but by the time you get to the point you know a boss where you do need it it's leveled up and it's actually providing proper support to your team members um so i i i really love this mechanic and uh yeah i i understand why it's controversial but you know being somebody who kind of came into it kind of pre-warned and, and knowing what I had to do in order to get the most out of it. I I was I really liked it. And playing a slightly less broken version than the True. original release, we yes, should say. Indeed. Uh, yeah. But I am I'm curious on this, uh, Leah, as a probably the person who 
played the most Final Fantasy games, if not the most JRPGs among us. Um, and obviously you have a lot of affection for other games in the series that reverted to the slightly more streamlined but perhaps more yeah. sensible system. Do you, How do you feel about this? I this... don't... I like it in theory, but in practice, I right. think that it needed a lot more work. I don't... Uh... I think that the most problem or the biggest problem that I have with it is probably the hit points thing and the defense thing. And, you know, in theory, I thought you pretty much had to hit yourself, but um, apparently you don't necessarily. But but yeah. but yeah, no, I mean, I, that part, I guess, was what got me the worst. If maybe you had had... Um, like Josh was saying, I, I like the concept of them possibly training, but if you look at it that way, then it kind of falls apart. When when are you going to be training while monsters are attacking you? If you're going to be training, you're going to be doing it in the town or you're going to be doing it at camp or something like that where, you know, you it, it's not going to be while you're trying to actually get things done necessarily. I, I don't I don't think that that fits too well in, in my in my mind, I I like being able to specialize your characters, uh, but if you don't need to use a skill or um, a, a any kind of uh, facet of uh, your character's um, fighting ability until you get to a a boss character or an area where it's more necessary, then it just becomes a question of, well, did I decide to do all of this when I didn't actually need to just for no mm. other reason that, oh, well, maybe I'll need it later. I don't, I don't, that just doesn't make that much sense to me in a training context, maybe, but it's not really presented like that. It's a, if there's an area that you really need magic for and you haven't been building up your magic because you didn't need your magic before now, then it can be kind of frustrating, I think. Mm. Yeah, I certainly found the system was problematic in the sense that I was either way over leveled or way under leveled. And I think that, that there are is difficulty true. spikes for sure. Yeah, I don't think that is true in a lot of the JRPGs I've played mm -hmm. um, and Final Fantasy. And it sort of relies on it to a point. And we talked in the Final Fantasy one show and possibly in other JRPGs we've covered, like Nino Kuni, there is the pattern of play is designed very much to be for the people who enjoy it you go to a new place there's a load of gear you can't afford and you're not strong enough to go to the next proper dungeon so you go to the surrounding area and you grind and you get the gear and you get better and then you move on and that's that's how it works but here i guess i i agree with josh actually i think it is more interesting and obviously the series and other rpgs have moved on you know 30 years since then and final fantasy adds we're going to get to talk about all kinds of weird and wonderful <laughs> extra systems, materia and dress spheres and, and influence grids and whatever else they brought into the various games. As, as I the like the junctioning system, though. So junctioning? Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so there's a lot, there's I mean, lots, I'm not going to rip anybody yeah. for liking this kind of system. I, it just doesn't sure. really resonate for, with me. Well, I think, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because those systems were clearly designed to exist alongside the, the bog standard. You've leveled up all your stats have got a bit better. Mm -hmm. And if you started at a low level of magic, you're never going to really be good at magic because you're not a magic user and that's your character. If you mm -hmm. if your character is a black mage, you start off good at dark magic spells and you get better at them. It's not about using them. It's about that's your 
that's your archetype and that's the journey you're going on so this is more flexible in a way like you can make any as you said like i, I really like the fact that you can give any spell to any you can they can have a lot of spells as well i can have a lot of different mm. spells um and actually they become it becomes really important to buy certain spells from certain shops or find the tomes in dungeons and teach certain characters certain spells. Although on the flip side, one of the spells is actually introduced in the plot as being the most important thing in the game, and it isn't at all yeah. Ultima. And in fact, in the original release, it was bugged, so it didn't even work properly. It was completely puny and didn't do anything. Um, they fixed that, obviously. But no, I feel uh, like mine might have been bugged. You still don't even need... Well, you, well, you probably never leveled it up. The point is you, you find yeah, ultimate. I had you, ultimate nine at one point. It was still oh, okay. only doing like 300 damage. Huh, okay. Yeah, it was a bit crap. Bearing in mind that the version we've played required a lot less effort to get everything more powerful than the original yeah. version where you would have been looking at even longer using the same stuff over and over again to, to get it anywhere. Yeah. Point out that I liked the way that they introduced the new characters and they forcibly give you character types that you haven't quite seen at that point. It felt like a, a way to teach you how to how to use some of the systems in the game. Like I got Minwu, I mean, do you get him very, very early? I can't remember if you get him before yeah, or after you got the early. Finn the first time. But you get him, and that's probably at that point your first introduction to white magic. And he's got a ton of spells. He must have 15 or so spells lots of them already quite highly leveled and he's got a very very large pool of magic and all of your characters start with some magic points and the other characters they give you later on um, often start with five points so you think well you've not got any spells and you've clearly not got any progression already as a, a magic user but you've got the potential there i can stick cure on you and it will go up and in the case of the uh, when you get leon at the end he started with five magic points. I stuck, I think, Holy and Cure and Flare or something on him. Mm. Used them a few times. And his first increase in magic took him up to 30-something. The next one took him to 80-something. And by the time... He's only in your party for like two dungeons. By the time he it was done, he had 200 MP. Mm. Uh, so you, you get a feel for how the systems in the game work. And they're sort of gen, gently nudging you towards them. Um, Joseph, when you get him quite early on, you might notice it says in his stats that he's left-handed. I'm not entirely sure how that works for the other characters, but I think all of your characters are right-handed, and mm. then you get a couple more lefties later on. But it's a point. I think Leela or Layla, mm. one of them who uses two weapons, yeah. is left-handed. So you think, oh, you stick the one that they're better with in the left hand instead, and it's just this. It's a gentle sort of way of saying, oh, there's a system here that. We've not explained to you, but this character—if you want to learn how to use this character, you need to understand this. And understanding this is probably going to give you a better grip of what to do with your own characters. So it was like, say, once I saw Minwu, I was like, "Well, if he's got all of these spells, what's to stop one of my other characters having all of these spells?" I just assumed that they'd only be able to have three or four, mm. and they wouldn't be that powerful, but. And you can mix and match uh, between the black and the white spells without, if you're kind of using a bit of everything, you never have too much trouble. I'm looking at this pyramid um, picture yeah. here, and it's, I think, it in my mind, it speaks quite well to actually the game does teach you these things in that I never, I never looked at anything, I never read anything about this, but that pyramid actually, the characters that are on there, like Maria... I started using her as a black mage and I think probably 
what made me do it in my head was that she starts off with a bow. It's not very powerful, especially compared to your other um, weapon attacks that the other characters do. So she's quite underpowered. And I think I realized, well, actually, it's more effective with her if I just start casting fire on people instead of using this bow until a bit later on when she starts getting some better bows. But she's quite underpowered, quite a lot at the beginning. So I started using her instead, thinking, well, if this bow's not doing any damage, I should be using something else. And there was a point, again, with Guy, it shows him as being sort of somewhere along the white mage spectrum. And there's nothing in the game to suggest that. He doesn't seem like he'd be the sort of person, his character certainly doesn't seem like this is going to be a healer or, you know, someone who casts spells to get you out of trouble. But I found there was a long period with him where I think he starts with an axe, but I was certainly using him with an axe. And there was a very, very long period in the middle of the game where he didn't, there were no better axes appearing. So I started using him to try and like teleport enemies away and banish them and things and, and casting slow on things. And it worked really, really well. And I think even without looking at anything, the game has nudged me into what has actually been right. a fairly optimal play. Yeah. So what we're looking at, listeners, is a is a, a, a graphic basically showing of showing the characters' uh, leanings or propensities or potentials, and so they do have some base stats which do, which which can influence where they end up. But I think the understanding is among people more expert in this game than than any of us is is that it doesn't necessarily make your game easier to actually subscribe to any of that so obviously you're saying you've done it and the game's led you in that direction and it's worked for you clearly because you didn't even know how to attack all (laughs) whatever else um, or cure all, uh, yeah, or cure all. I didn't look at that this until the end, just uh, in 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 research. But actually, I I watched a couple of videos where the criticism has been around the fact that, in fact, you should just ignore all of that stuff, all the 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 propensities, and just like make everyone um, barehanded, <laughs> like and just uh, you know, and actually, you will you will get through the game easier and quicker if you disregard kind of their their default leanings but um but i don't know yeah your your experience will vary depending on how i guess how you treat that stuff and maybe somebody who has played more of the final fantasy games will uh or the more recent ones will attack it in a different way whereas again going back to 1988 firstly none of this would have been in the public domain you wouldn't have known so you would have been relying on as john was kind of what the game was hinting at um, just by their look and their costumes or whatever. Interestingly, Firion is slap bang in the middle of everything. And the idea is obviously that you can make your kind of lead protagonist anything you want him to be. Um, and in the end, mine ended up being, although he became, he's stuck with a sword, partly because you get a sword later in the game, which makes mincemeat of bosses, uh, if you find it. Um, because you end up being a jack of all trades because he's the strongest, he's the least likely to die, he can heal everyone, he can also attack with magic. And yeah, so I suppose it's whether do you prefer playing an RPG where you have more standard archetypes? Like I know some people really love having their healer character or their sword character or their axe character, but if you like having more jacks of all trades, which is perhaps, you know, something that it would be more useful in a real life fantasy situation. Um, it gives you that that option. 
On this, Octorok385 on the forum says, Final Fantasy II is one of my favourite classic RPGs. The Dawn of Souls rendition in particular makes significant fixes to the original, smoothing many of the game's rougher edges. The skill-based levelling system, while implemented in a rather cumbersome way, is an early glimpse of a core gaming mechanic which would be developed further through the Saga series and which would remain pervasive in role-playing games through to modern times. An hour or two with Skyrim will show that developing a character based on their skill use or preference rather than through a global experience system makes for a much more meaningful gameplay in the long run than the levelling system which Final Fantasy would end up maintaining well beyond its time. While clearly a product of its time, Final Fantasy II showed us what RPGs might someday become and continues to prove to this day that standing in a line and beating your friends can be fun and rewarding. So that's one take. Also, the Green Flea says... Although I knew about the tricky battle system and the means of which everything levels, I never had any issues playing the game like I would any other Final Fantasy. You get hit, you hit, use magic and everything levels. I never thought to do any of that to my own party and I didn't have any trouble, besides the normal ones in a JRPG, getting through the game. On the other hand, Blue All Day says, A few steps out of the first town and you're introduced to another major change from the first game. This gameplay feature is the levelling system, which has no levelling at all. Although a lasting strength of the Final Fantasy series is the changing gameplay and experimentation from game to game, this one feels like an enormous misstep. I remember playing those opening moments completely baffled by the systems in place. Stats raise and lower depending on which actions each character takes. If you attack, strength goes up. Use magic, then it goes up. If you get hit, your max hit points goes up, etc. etc. The idea is that your characters will shape into having the strengths that you want them to have. In theory, this is a system that could work and is definitely forward-thinking. Having a wide array of opportunities for each character that becomes more and more specialised could be fun. However, this system is so broken and out of whack that it's laughable. I went out and bought the guide a day after a day of playing and it outlined a ludicrous loophole in the game. You can just leave a weak enemy alone in a fight and have each character attack each other in different ways. This breaks the game, allowing you to level up stats and hit points at an incredible rate. So naturally, I did just that. Every few hours of play, I'd spend some time fighting myself instead of grinding the old-fashioned way. It takes tension out of the game, but I can't say it would have been any more enjoyable if I went to incrementally stronger enemies to get the desired stats for each character. Uh, so we sort of already talked a little about the uh, the other the usual bits and bobs of items and armor. Um, I'd say there's there's a fair amount of weapons and armor to be found in this game for a, for an old rpg as you'd expect lots of swords and mallets and hammers and bows and lances some things seem to be more appropriate than others uh we've mentioned the spells you can buy different tomes and just teach them or i think you can use them in battle as a disposable item as well which was something that came over from the first game uh, anything else on equipment and items that we should mention i i think you know we touched on the Ultima magic and how it's such an important story point and then ultimately, like, it's a pretty useless spell. You don't even I... have to teach it to anyone. That's yeah. the weird thing. And it's just useless. And then, like, later on, you just kind of pick up this sword, like, out of nowhere that's 
not really got any significance called the blood sword and it's easily the most powerful thing that you can use against the mm. final boss and i'm just thinking about the plot and how much that whole section of the game would make more sense if the blood sword was the thing that was being <laughs> hidden away it's like this is the ultimate weapon that will defeat the beasts of hell or yeah. something like that and mm. it's just like it's just given to you out of nowhere like with no fanfare whatsoever and it's easily the the best thing you could pick up at that point in the game but it doesn't have a cool name like ultima (laughs) no there's the usual masamune's in there you josh you said you found excalibur i don't know if that's if that is that's masamune Uh, renamed for the western no so you you get you get excalibur before Mm. masamune Uh, it basically you go back to the uh dragoon's grieving widow and she's like oh here you go this is his excalibur sword and you can get that yeah yeah, okay, I got so, that, but yeah. I never got Masamune. I assume Masamune is a knife rather than a sword. No, sword. Always okay. a sword. Yeah. yeah. But yes, the blood sword is uh, one that drains uh, life from enemies, and uh, except uh, undead enemies, in which case it gives them life. So that is the reason not to use it. But you can actually uh, equip items in battle in this game. So you can actually swap around weapons for for different attacks if you can be bothered. Generally, I would just keep the same equipment and use something else to attack uh, an undead enemy if I was carrying the blood sword. But it's, yeah, for whatever reason, and again, bear in mind that this game has been significantly rebalanced from the original. So I think in the the original version, the final boss probably had something like five or ten times the amount of HP than it has in the the remade versions. Um, The blood sword does over a thousand comfortably, depending on your level, I guess. But yeah, I was doing like 1300 points of damage per hit, getting that back in hit points. And uh, it only had like 10,000 HP, the boss. So you barely needed to. That was one of the mechanics that I hated. Um, There's a handful of enemies and one of them is the final boss. One of them is the angel boss that you find just before the final boss. And then there's a couple of other smaller enemies who, when they hit you, they pull health out of you. And the final yeah. boss consistently, when he did his, I guess it's just his physical attack instead of any magic, he was hitting my characters for like 14, 1500 points and taking most of that back well, into we himself. We know why that is, because you didn't beat didn't yourself up earlier in the game. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, yeah. that was genuinely the only boss fight in the game that took me more than probably six or seven rounds everything else just went down so fast but i definitely i definitely felt like that final boss was much more powerful had a bigger pool Hmm. of health hit much harder when he actually hit when he wasn't just casting rubbish spells like slow which either did nothing or affected one guy for like the rest of that turn here's an interesting question for you those of you who have played more final fantasy than me and i've played lots of them but not completed a lot i still get weirded out by the amount of spells that just miss like spell is that normal it's not as frequent um there some game actually i want to say most of the games going forward you'll you won't actually miss with spells Uh i won't swear to that because i know that there are a couple of games in which you can but it's less Mm. common as you go along Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, because it nice is quite the frustrating. Enemies just yes. constantly missing you. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's just a percentage deal, and I, I assume you can reduce that miss percentage by leveling up your spells. Um, and I suppose it depends on the level of the enemies and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I've, it's something I've always found weird and confusing about Final Fantasy. <laughs> um, yeah, I, wanna, they'll, they'll, I don't want um, my spell to miss. 
I, I think that they kind of uh, go in in the direction of it'll hit, but if they have a resistance against it, it might not do very much damage. So yeah, I, I think that's more of what you'll see uh, than spells just kind of straight up missing. Mm. Anything else to be discussed regarding the magics? Uh, not so much magic, but on the point of things that don't work very well. Okay. Um, I never once successfully managed to run away from a battle. Oh, and I don't know okay. if that's a problem. That Something might be wasn't right based. there. I well, didn't try too often. Evasion and agility and various things that that's, sound like they should be. I think that is it. Agility that and sort evasion. Of thing. Yeah. But yeah, I had, um, especially very fairly early on when I was finding myself coming up against something suddenly that none of my attacks would do anything. And I was never successful in running away. I got to a point where I think it was when I had Minwu in my party and he had a spell that could teleport enemies away. That mm. his level with it wasn't very high. And yeah. I stumbled into, did anybody go to the arcane laboratory or labyrinth or whatever it was? It's like, it may be specific to a version. That's not in all the versions, yeah. Yeah. I want to say it's in the PSP version. I'm assuming that the PSP which, one's the one Yeah, that I was going to say, which is probably the, the mobile phone. version, yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's this weird, it's, it's a dungeon and it definitely felt very, very hard at the beginning of the game. I went into there and realized that I couldn't get out and there were lots of very tough enemies and I was trying to run away from fights and couldn't escape and couldn't do any damage. So I got to this point where I was trying to teleport them out and get through to the end of the dungeon. But yeah, I never ever once managed to actually escape from a fight. The characters would sort of turn around and run then the enemies would attack and they'd sort of get hit and go like, oh, all right, I'll just turn around and stand here again. But I found that very frustrating because I lost progress numerous times through not being able to get out of a battle that I couldn't win. One spell that really, really irritated me because um, the only way to counter it is if you have the spell yourself as Toad, um, where the, you reach a point in the game where enemies can turn your party members into Toads, but the, the effect doesn't wear off when you leave the fight. You're just permanently Toads. The only <laughs> way to reverse it is to get the Toad spell and use it on yourself. But oh, um, the Toad spell Wait, misses all the time, and you just can't, like, like you have to level up the Toad spell. And uh, I went through this portion of the game where you are just constantly trying to cast Toad on party members who just refuse to turn back. And uh, oh, you may correct me here. I, you may correct me here, but I, I believe that the only way to reverse it is with the Toad spell. I looked online. I couldn't find any other solution, but yeah, it was really frustrating. What about Esuna or Basuna? Do they, neither of them fix Toad? In um, theory, Esuna should, but yeah. I think I did an item that you Yeah, can I was going to say the item, um, normally it's Maiden's Kiss that cures yeah. Toad. I don't know if it's the same in this game or not because i don't think i ran into that problem very often but mm. you the the normal the the normal final no, fantasy you, you are right uh, it is maiden's yeah. kiss uh, but i i hadn't I had any access to that Didn't item really. before that uh, before yeah. that encounter that's why i'm forgetting that one yeah yeah i got turned to stone at one point or one of my characters got turned to stone it was yeah. the one who had uh, i think it's esuna uh, and I had to spend about the next twenty minutes of game time going back to a village to get because I did to get some of the thing. Game. And the character just stays as a stone, stands there in the battles, and when they all run off at the end, he just stands there. It looks really yeah. funny. But yeah, it, it took funny. me ages to go back, and at that point, I realised right, I need to stock up and have like 
at yeah, least I mean, 10 of all of these items at any point. What the hell are you doing running around a Final Fantasy game without your inventory full of stuff that you never get around to using? I mean, come on. <laughs> I, I did end up like that. I had like, I think about... 60 phoenix downs and ethers and stuff at the end never I used any of them literally never but... used a phoenix down no, no i, 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 I yeah. used like the life spell instead but i, I bought... had them just in case there's the elixir which is worth fifty thousand gil mm-hmm. and i ended up with i found a few and bought some I ended up with 13 of those and used three yeah. so i so i effectively had um like yeah like what five hundred thousand gills worth of, <laughs> of of elixirs so it's kind of weird yeah i mean the currency is weird in this there's also i, yeah, I, thought I had one, so much money at the end of it one idea which i did like although it's kind of it's kind of funny when you think about <clears> it is the fact that the inns charge more depending on how much you need them <laughs> so if you, if you really need healing and magic their prices go up if you don't need if you don't need any healing or magic they don't charge you for staying there <laughs> I was never a hundred percent sure, but I I sort of partly figured out in my head that I think that they just charged you one gill per either HP or MP right, that you needed. Yeah. So I got to a point where if I went to an inn and I still had my characters had um, magic but didn't have any health, I just used all of the cure spells, pulled it all together, healed everybody up, so they all all were on full health, and then I went into the inn and basically just got all their magic. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, refill because the uh, whatever the items were is it ether that you use to refill your magic yeah. starts off really expensive mm. and mm. I didn't find one until at least halfway through the game. You're finding potions and stuff in chests, but I didn't find any ethers until mm. way way in. So I was yeah, I was basically completely relying on the inns to to refill my magic for me. Ethers are weird. Some in some Final Fantasy games, they're basically the same as potions like you'll find them or be able to buy them at you know reasonable rates and then sometimes they Mm. are extremely rare and you you don't uh you don't find them very often at all so that's that's Mm. kind of a weird one and they also they didn't seem to be consistent either so I'd, i'd use an ether on each of my four characters and it didn't it wasn't just like a potion that seemed to do you know here's 50 points of health back although actually in this game i don't think the potions do that either but the ethers were some of the characters were getting like 40 mp off them and there was one that i used on somebody at one point that only gave them like 15 or 16 mp back but they were all over the shop with that i assume it's a percentage or I, somehow tied into the stats of I, like uh, yeah i actually want to say and i i again i may be wrong about this but i honestly think that the more you use potions and ethers on your characters the more effective they will be Item use is a skill in Final Fantasy Tactics, so it makes sense I, that... I think, yeah. I think right. that is a thing. I, I Again, I, I'm not sure, but pretty sure. <laughs> that figures. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess what yeah, what we're coming to is the fact that this game has lots of... Even even by Final Fantasy standards, Seems has lots weird. of weirdnesses. And yeah, <laughs> it's kind of lots of quirks and wrinkles that, yeah, you can either view as massive flaws or interesting things that you have to kind of work around or whatever. The next... Perhaps most controversial element. I'm basing this on my research readings and and whatever else and watchings regarding Final Fantasy II. Is that pretty much universally, as far as my research has gone, the dungeon design is fairly much reviled for Final Fantasy II. The consistent uh, criticisms tend to be that dungeons are either incredibly linear or they're way too convoluted with far too many dead ends and the biggest crime seems to be the 
the rooms that you go into, which is basically a lottery of if you've never been there before. And again, assume, assuming you weren't using a walkthrough and telling you which ones to go in, you go into a room and it deposits you into the middle of an empty room, which you have to then leave. But it has a super high encounter rate. So mm. it's, it's basically a trap room. And then one in every eight of those rooms or whatever will have an item in it, which may or may not be one of the best items in the game. So you have to try them all out regardless. Um I would have been incredibly lost and frustrated in some of the dungeons in this game had I not been using a walkthrough. Um, I did some of them without, you know, completely following the walkthrough, but just the thought of getting caught down high encounter dead ends over and over again and then just getting utterly sick of the game were in my mind. Um, There was a certain amount of that enjoyable balance of tension between have I got enough items of magic to get me through this dungeon you're not allowed to use cottages on the inside of the dungeon but you can teleport back out in this game but then you've got to kind of go back to the start so mm. um, some of them felt longer than they were some of them felt shorter than they were but overall like it felt like a 30 year old JRPG with some really mean spirited dungeon crawling I will admit that I am a glutton for punishment so I think this suited me quite nicely Okay. Um, I guess, like I say, no walkthrough for me apart from in a few specific locations. So I went through these things and even more so to the point of, you know, finding the exit. If I got into one of the dungeons and I, you know, the first staircase I found was the one that went down, but I knew there was still like a portion to the oh, south go the that other I hadn't way, been right? to. Oh yeah, yeah, you see the stairs that go down. So no, I definitely haven't, uh, definitely haven't checked yeah. out every little corner of this uh purely dead-ended rubbish enemies dungeon yet well this is how you got around the fact that you didn't level up properly you just went everywhere i did level up properly because i did so many battles did it actually level up by yeah Yeah. by taking the uh hitting yourself route out there you go but yeah it worked for me and i really liked some of the strange little bits where it would put four or five doors all next to each other and be like right you try all (laughs) these rooms and one of them will be the exit but there was a great one in the final um the final dungeon, um, I can't remember if it's... It's Pandemonium, isn't it? The castle, the hell castle at the end. where there's, there's a bit where there's four of those doors and one of them has the correct route and the other three all have, uh, all have a convoluted sort of winding route that goes to a chest and the chest has a monster in a box and the yeah. monster is a, is a unique boss and all of those boss fights I really... Well, actually, no, one of them was a bit crap but I liked those boss fights a lot. They were all exciting-looking... Um, designs on the characters and one of them was Beelzebub who was drawn as a massive fly and I really like that oh, um that aesthetic see that one. of that but mm. then they were all guarding like the best one of them was like the best helmet the best armor piece in the game yeah diamond uh diamond armor I think is is, is there stuff that's even no, beyond it that? was it was better than that there's right. dragon dragon or dragoon armor was better than diamond okay and then these ones were something above that I can't remember what the name was but it was something that suggested that they were good and then the text was like this offers you the best protection you can possibly get it's like yeah but that's all the f- literally two three floors before the final boss fight of the game so so you will enjoy dungeons in this game if you're a sucker for punishment and grinding Josh? 
I, I actually feel similarly to you, Leon. Um, there, there were some dungeons where I was reading the the walkthrough, and I was getting frustrated reading the walkthrough entry because it was like, <laughs> right, so you have to go up to floor two, then go over here, then go back down to floor one again, back up to floor two, up to floor three, then all the way back to floor one again, then you go up to floor four, and I was just like, what is this? And this there's just isn't- not enough of interest in there to be doing that. It's not like a even yeah. A, uh, I'm thinking of a game from a very very similar era, which was Dungeon Master on the ST and Amiga, which was a 3D dungeon crawler. Um, and But that, that was a, a, a dungeon that was full of traps and puzzles. These aren't yeah. really. They're just full of encounters. And I, I just don't think the, the JRPG kind of design template works with this kind of dungeon layout. With Zelda, because you can fill all these rooms and all these layers with puzzles and kind of intricate like mechanisms and uh, different enemy types that kind of like force you to use different kind of battle tactics or maybe some enemies that you just run past and avoid. But because it's just random battles and you don't really have a choice as to which enemies you get engaged with and which ones you don't. And like the puzzle element of it is really just kind of going through a series of doors and kind of navigating the maze-like architecture. It just gets frustrating. And I'm really glad I had a walkthrough. I like, I, I, it's weird because like before I was kind of praising the combat and the, the leveling system, but th- this is where I feel like Final Fantasy to kind of lets itself down is that it gives you this these really interesting mechanics that I found way more engaging than the previous game, but then doesn't give you kind of levels that are really engaging to go alongside it, that stuff. Mm. Mm. Leah, how do you feel about the dungeon delving? I found them to be just kind of a thing that you have to do. Uh, I, I don't have anything too significant to add to what's already been said i i i used to walk through for the most part just to make sure that i got through without getting too frustrated so i I wasn't wasn't a um particularly attractive feature of the game for me and as for getting around on the world map i guess it was uh, it's pretty similar to the previous game as you'd expect again looking at the famicom version it's a very simple looking affair that's made up of a grid effectively with blue blue squares with a pattern on for water and uh, and so on and i suppose that's being reductionist in a way because that's that's all any game is but um uh they tart up the graphics a little so it does actually look more like grass and water and so on in in the the subsequent versions um i found that the you mentioned right uh, at the start of the show, John, that you, you felt the map was quite large. And I actually agreed. Mm. I read somewhere that they said it was a very small world map, but I, I didn't get that sense. I got the fact that I, I felt like it was, it had more different places to go and it had, um, it was more geographically interesting. Similarly to the first game, there's that sort of uh, Metroidvania or gear gating element to it in that as the game goes along, you get improved methods of getting about the place from first a raft, then you can hire a boat, then you get a boat, then you get an airship and that kind of thing. Uh, and for the most part, I enjoyed it, but there are, I think there are a couple of elements, just the way that they made the continents, the layout of them, that you had to go a bit round the houses 
around the around the archipelagos to um mm. to actually get to where you wanted to be there's some sort of extensive sailing along the coast to get round to places and and whatever else that wasn't massively welcome but of course that's that's when you get the joy of getting the airship right near the end of the game and um and you get to you get to set down anywhere that you can land any any flat, flat piece of ground but um but again it was uh, interesting again as somebody who played I guess Final Fantasy VII was the first one in the series that I played extensively. And I remember going into the world map for the first time in that game and thinking, wow, this is amazing. I imagine for those who played this back in 1988 or thereabouts, it would have been pretty cool to suddenly be able to walk and then sail around the world. Much like Final Fantasy I, there are things that you will see here that you definitely will see later on and have them have been refined. But... I mean, it's it it is a template for things to come, which is great in some ways. Um, and the fact that they are—I won't even say by and large—but in pieces, they are um, maybe not as fleshed out as we would like them to be. There is still definitely a value of them being there to kind of be improved upon later. In a very similar fashion to everything else in this game, I didn't realize that you could actually open up a proper world map until probably the first time it made you go somewhere that you'd never heard of before. Yeah. And suddenly I realized, oh, okay, so where the hell is this place? Looked it up and the guy was like, oh, on the world map. And I was looking through the walkthrough because I was like, oh, he's probably got a you know a gif or something on this walkthrough of the map. And it's like, oh, no, you actually just hold the button down, which I knew about because I looked at the, in the same Final Fantasy trick that they've done again and again, apparently, the item that has like hold the status screen or something written on it. Mm. Um, but yeah, it took me quite a long time. <laughs> I think until I first had to get to a different continent. I think it was when they send you to the island where the dragons are and you have to go on your own. I didn't realize that the map would um, wrap around like it did. Ah, but before yes. that, I'd just been kind of wandering along that one long stretch of coastline that they mm. get you to go back and forwards around. Yeah, I kind of got a feel for what the world was like. And it's kind of interesting that it feels very much like a continent. In in some ways, it's designed like North and then Central America in that it's sort of this large section at the top and it's at the very top of it is Northern with um, snowy mountains and stuff. And then you go down, it sort of tapers into a point and there's deserts and stuff down towards the bottom. But it, it somehow felt familiar to me, I think just because the amount of time I spent doing that loop around the coastline between the first four or five cities. Yeah, and I don't know, again, having not played many of the other games in the series extensively, I don't know how com common it is for a large percentage of the habitable areas to be destroyed by the by the evil forces. Now, I remember, like many people do, the, the threat of this happening in Final Fantasy VII with... Uh, with the comet in the sky, um, but in this game, first a uh, first a uh, imperial dreadnought, and then later the forces of Hellspawn themselves the, themselves actually lay waste, don't they, to to large areas of the um, of the map, which actually renders some of the previous places that you've been. Obviously, there are still ways to, you know, there are still shops to go to and items you can get the items that you need and whatever else, but. Has that been done since that kind of large scale devastation or would that be a spoiler? <laughs> you can just say yes or no without saying which game. <laughs> I know it definitely happens in a certain game in the not too distant future. Aha, it's a thing. Okay. It is a thing. We'll come back to that. 
Well, we must mention, of course, that this game introduces certain series staples, as you would expect, although uh, I, d- I haven't got a comprehensive list of all of them. Again, enemy types, I'm not 100% sure which ones debuted in the previous game, which ones in this game do continue throughout. But I do know that uh, this game introduces a Leviathan, which you actually end up inside. Dragoons is the first time you see them, the dragon-wearing, wyvern-riding guards, uh, dragon-armor-wearing, I should say. Uh, Sid is properly introduced as a character, whereas in the previous game there was a Sid, but it wasn't, well, it probably was the Sid, but you know what I mean. Um, But I suppose most significantly, we have to mention Chocobos, or Chocobos, as I believe uh, is correct to call them. There's a little forest, and you can find a Chocobo and ride about on it, and the theme plays. It's only a very short version of the theme, which gets expanded out in, in future iterations. Um, so I was pleased to see this. To, to, this is one of These are exactly the reasons why I'm playing these ancient 30-hour JRPGs, to, to experience the exact moment that these first things happen, because I played Final Fantasy VII, there were chocobos, and everyone was like, yeah, chocobos. And I was like, sure, why not, golden birds that you ride about on and race and whatever but i wanted to see the point where you first discovered them and here it was mr feathers great 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 grandfather (laughs) ah mr feathers uh for people who don't know which is everyone (laughs) that would be that would be uh leah's final fantasy 15 uh mount mr feathers and um yeah so i i guess if you could name your chocobos they would all be mr feathers like sid is always sid yeah pretty much i I mean there it's not it is like Sid because they're they're not all the exact same person, but they are all Mister Feathers. <laughs> you can actually so you you find yourself in the Chocobo Forest and you can then yeah basically go up to one, talk to it, and it, it there's instant union <laughs> that makes it sound sexier than it is. But you can then ride off around the, the world map on it, and it uh, it removes encounters and generally speeds you up a bit. I think. Wait, what? No encounters? Don't think not so. On not, not when you're on a Chocobo. No. I didn't find the chocobos. Ah. Well, they don't stay there, so they're not as useful as some of the other vehicles. So, like, if you park your boat somewhere, mm. your ship, it stays there, which is great. But chocobos run off they back home. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I saw a, a bit in one of the YouTube videos of it. And there's no there's no real... Uh, there's, there's nothing in the game that, obviously, we, we, we see later on with, you know, breeding them and raising them and teaching them how to race and buying them armor or whatever i don't know i'm guessing now because i haven't played all the games but uh this literally find find a find a tweety bird sit on it and run about on it and then it runs back again but there they were and the theme plays oh man i definitely missed out so uh there's uh, an extra little bit at least one little bit um which i unlocked at the end of my game boy advance game which is called soul of rebirth uh, which is uh, as an extra section which is set at the point that Minwoo uh, awakens following his yeah, his in-game sacrifice. Um, and then you team up with some guys in the... Is it in the Pandemonium? Or is it... It's Yeah, it's, it's right near the end of the game. Mm. Uh, and yeah, you, you play with a party of, of three which features some of the dead characters from the game. I thought I, I haven't played it through because uh, I, you know, I'd completed Final Fantasy 2 and I'd played enough Final Fantasy 2. But one thing I did like about it was the fact that the characters who feature in it, who you did play in the game, will have the same uh, stats and magic as they had when you last saw them in the main game, which is quite nice. Ah, interesting. Well, mine would have been rubbish then because um, yeah. I knew that um, Joseph was going to die because it had happened. 
and then I'd immediately been wiped uh, fairly quickly afterwards. So when I reloaded my sofa, I stripped all <laughs> I stripped all of his good armor off him because I knew he was about to die. So yeah, my soul of rebirth experience would have been interesting. Actually, that's an interesting point. I'm not sure it does. Maybe it does leave them gear, regardless of what you've done. I'm not sure in that. Again, in the walkthrough that I was using, it did pre-warn you of mm. character exits and said, if you want to keep all the gear, now's a good time to unequip. So I'm not sure what the deal is with that. Uh, I didn't. I, I did have a quick look at, at this Soul of Rebirth, but not long enough to establish that. But they did have. Uh, they certainly did have the magic spells that I left them with. So if you hadn't taught them any right. magic, um, I don't know. It might. I, I imagine. What it does is it makes uh, tomes and armor items quite easily findable in the extra bit of quest so that you can kit them out again. Um, yeah, because by that point, at the end of the game, I was in Pandemonium and I was exploring uh, both in chests and from enemy drops. I got so many like diamond curators yeah. and stuff from those enemies there and yeah. so many high, uh, like aura tomes and drain tomes and things. Mm. I wonder if it so, did yeah. that in the original Famicom version or whether that was uh, looking at the, the walkthrough that I used, the, the items were quite substantially remixed between the original version and, and the re-released versions. So I wonder if it, it they were considerably more generous in that regard to stop people from getting horrifically stuck uh, later in the game. Again, thinking about 90, late 90s games design as opposed to late 80s games design. It's, yeah, I mean, the, my experience with Soul of Rebirth was, yeah, I finished the game. It said something about a clear file. Yeah. So I loaded it back up and it started Soul of Rebirth. Uh, I sort of watched the cutscene at the beginning. Oh, this is kind of cool. I wonder how long this is or what this is. Mm. Uh, first fight uh, felt oh. like I was doing absolutely no yes. damage to the yeah. enemies. I was just like, well, if it's going to be like this, then mm. I'm not there. <laughs> Yeah, it's there for the hardcore mm. fans. Um, I I don't know whether the story was written by the original story writers because otherwise you could just make an argument that it's non-canon anyway, I suppose. Uh, what is it supposed to be, like in the afterlife or something strange? So I guess take it as you yeah. want to. It's a sort of guide then. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't feel the need. I'd come off the back of playing like 20 hours of the game over the course of the previous four or five days and... I didn't, yeah. yeah. I, I should have done. I kind of wish I had, and maybe I will at some point in the future. But well, report yeah, back right if at you that do. point, I was like, no, I, I don't need what feels already in the first 10 minutes like an extra hard version of this immediately. I'm guessing that as Josh and Leah aren't champing at the microphone to get in here, they haven't gone down this path. I have not, no. no. Sorry. <laughs> no. Fair enough. I mentioned it very briefly earlier, but the one other little piece of content which may be yeah. specific to these later versions... There's this, um, it's, I think it's called the Arcane Labyrinth. Um, I think that might be PSP and subsequent versions only, so 2007 uh, and, and onwards. Forgive me if I'm wrong, listeners, but I think that would be right. So I'm, I'm intrigued to, again, go back and play more of this because this thing kicked my butt at the beginning <laughs> of the game and I didn't. It put me off so badly because I lost so much progress by going into there. I, I lost about two hours of progress because you can't save or leave the area. And it felt like it was going to be a losing battle. And I kind of clung on as long as I could, thinking I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to get through this. This is the point where I was, none of my attacks or spells were damaging the enemy. So I was just trying to use Minwu's teleport thing to banish them out before they could wipe out my party. And it just got worse and worse and worse. But it's it plays on the, um, what are they, the key terms system, where you go into this thing 
There's a couple of like typical Final Fantasy Black Mages standing at the beginning. Right. And also worth noting, there was at least three or four entrances to this place that were all marked on the world map as like northeast, northwest, south. There may have been another southern one somewhere. Um, but you go in, these Black Mages tell you something about we're going to build a dungeon based on the term that you use. <laughs> and it's specific dungeons apparently are good or bad for specific characters and i'm not exactly sure whether that just means there's enemies that your character if they've got their normal kind of setup is going to be good or bad against or there are drops that are likely to be good or bad for them i'm not 100 percent sure where that goes mm. but so at that point when i went there i only had four key terms i think they were like wild rose mithril and then the two the airship and the the, the dreadnought one yeah so i went in and i was like okay well let's try wild rose and it generated a dungeon that was essentially it looked a bit like um castle finn later on when you go in there it was was very obviously like a battlefield on Mm. a castle and it might have been a scenario where the empire was uh taking over the kingdom in the first place and you went around this fairly small one level dungeon and i think i had to defeat all of the at that point, they were either sergeants or captains, but they were slightly harder than they should have been for me before it would open up the exit. You then leave, and then I thought, oh, well, if I get through that one, fine, I can walk back out to the entrance and save and reheal and stuff. But then you, it doesn't let you do that. You've got to pick the next one. So effectively, the point I was oh, at, boom. I would have had to go through all four of them, and I did the Dreadnought one, and that was really odd. That wasn't like anything I'd seen in the rest of the game. It was a maze level with bits that of the floor that lit up and then died back down i think it said there was an alarm going off or something and if you were in the bit of the floor that was glowing red when you were there that's when you started getting attacked and they were i think they were captains at that point who were destroying me Mm. and the mithril one was a cave a bit like the cave where you get the mithril but i got through three of them and got wiped at the end of i think the dreadnought one yeah uh, after spending a long time but i was i would have been quite interested to see if i'd done the fourth one would i have then been able to leave because i not got anything else to choose from or what would have happened at the end of it it's another thing i feel like i should go back and check out again but the the amount of frustration it caused me when i was like three hours into the game and i lost a couple of hours and really really bad because i had managed to take out some of the captains and stuff and this was before it was before I'd got the mithril and taken it back and they were dropping mithril gear and one of them dropped a bow for Maria, which was about 10 times more powerful than the bow that she currently had equipped, which actually would have made her into a viable character. I was really, really frustrated when I lost Mm. all of that stuff. Well, nice bit of extra content mm. for the very, very hardcore, by the sound of it. It sounds like some sort of weird hybrid between uh, Dragon Dog- Dragon's Dogma's Bitter Black Isle and Bloodborne's Chalice Dungeons, <laughs> something like that. Um, yeah, Chalice Dungeons is actually not a bad uh, comparison. Analogue, right, yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so that's going to be unlockable on yeah, PSP and subsequent versions for those who are up for an extra challenge. My bad, we actually glossed past the, the ask and learn and speak uh, mechanic we should mention that because it's unique it's another unique uh tried once and then dropped forever system for final fantasy i believe yeah i i can't think of any other place where this actually happened so essentially 
when you are having conversations with characters, it, it almost makes it into kind of an adventure game situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when you are speaking with uh, specific characters, you will sometimes see a word that is um, highlighted, Zelda style. Uh, and if you select that word, it, you will learn it. Uh, and then you will be able to, when you are speaking to characters later, you can choose from a list of the words that you have learned and sometimes get more information about them sometimes yeah, sometimes they won't give you <laughs> anything not. but yeah this is another spot where the walkthrough is very helpful <laughs> but mostly they just look at you like mm-hmm? yeah question mark uh I, I i was not a fan of that situation i i don't think that many people right. were which is probably why <clears> it didn't come back but um yeah that I was not uh, especially fond of it. <laughs> I suppose it added a little something for me, it just in the sense that it felt like you were doing more than just pressing a button to speak. You were actually moving a D-pad up and down. It felt like you had some tiny bit of agency in conversation, mm. even though you really didn't. It's actually the most simple password system uh, or conversational system. But um, I don't know. Josh, do you feel it brought anything to the party or was it a complete waste of effort and time? I think it was a complete waste of time. Just give me the dialogue option. Like the, the, That's the solution that RPGs since then have come up with. Somebody brings something up and you just automatically comes up as a dialogue option i think it's just a waste of time well it felt underused that you'd be talking to the princess or queen hilda hilda and she would mention something and then you'd immediately question what it was and then ask her and she'd be like oh yes this and that would be all of the interaction you had it seemed quite pointless yeah and there's still lots of again we're early relatively early in in the world of jrpgs and and we're playing what was originally an 8-bit game so there's a lot of uh, people who don't have a lot to say for themselves and they will say it over and over again but again you can circumnavigate that stuff by yeah kind of guiding your way through the game so there's a lot of characters you never need to speak to but there's one character for instance Paul who you speak to over and over again he becomes really important to solving the game so before we move on let's hear from Twitter follow us do at Kane and Rince and these are your three-word reviews for Final Fantasy II. Uda's Aquim says The Black Sheep. Buliaros says Elder Scrolls Prototype. Octorok385 says Bash Your Friends. Andrew Brown says Stop Hitting Yourself. And Mealtime Strategy says Final, you say? Uh, just a couple of other little nuggets, as Leah will know. Firion and the Emperor of Palamecia or Paramecia. Matthias are the respective hero and villain representing Final Fantasy II in Dissidia Final Fantasy and Dissidia 012. It's actually Duodecim. But we'll... Oh, Duodecim. Because yeah. well, you, you yeah, totally I've... would have known that. These are the same I've people who named down. the game 385 Days Over 2. So yeah, don't take don't take it too seriously. I love, I, I love those Kingdom Hearts names. They're so silly. It's brilliant. Um, yeah, so uh, Firion's in there. Any fun? Any fun with Firion? <laughs> uh, so I haven't gotten... Uh, I have played the uh, Dissidia games that came out on the PSP, uh, but they're a little bit older, and I haven't really dug much into the extraordinarily confusing uh, Dissidia for the uh, PS4 yet. Um, so I, I'm not sure. I, I do remember playing them uh, a bit on the... Uh, I, Dissidia is really fun, but it's a lot of nonsense. So um, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know how strong the connection really is. Um, I'm sure somebody could correct me on that who is better at fighting games than I am. The new one has not had uh, tremendously positive reviews, I don't think, has it? The PS4 it's one. It's very uh, complex. Just... Right, sure. 
Naturally. <laughs> of course. Uh, and also just to say, in April 1989, the game was novelised by its original scenario writer, Kenji Tarada, under the title Final Fantasy II uh, Mumo no Mekyu, which literally means The Labyrinth of Nightmares. It was published in Japan exclusively by Karakawa Shoten. Uh, so good luck finding a copy. And if you're able to understand this podcast, good luck understanding. If you're <laughs> bilingual, then go for it. Uh, yeah. Blue All Day from the forum says before the release of Final Fantasy 7 I still remember Squaresoft bending over backwards to explain to gamers that the Final Fantasy 2 that we played in the West was in fact Final Fantasy 4 and that Final Fantasy 3 was Final Fantasy 6 prior to that those facts were knowledge that dedicated fans held from tiny screenshots of the Japanese imports in Electronic Gaming Monthly so it turned out that I had been missing installments of one of my favourite franchises Final Fantasy 2 and 3 from the NES and Final Fantasy 5 from the SNES Fortunately, in 2003, Square Enix released Final Fantasy Origins on PlayStation 1. I picked up a copy and held on to it so I could play it during my summer break from college. I was prepared for a bit of a slog, knowing it was an NES game at its core, but I was sure it would be a fun game to experience. Little did I know I was about to experience a series Nadia. Final Fantasy 2 opens nicely enough and introduces a key gameplay feature, the ability to learn code words and keywords and use them later when speaking to an NPC. This was one of the few highlights of the game and something I genuinely enjoyed. Asking guards and down townspeople about every little thing was a great way to keep the player engaged and it created a more fleshed out world than I was expecting. Even the random characters had a personal stake in the war with the evil empire. I wish later games had stayed with this feature. The fights are just flat and not memorable, plus the dungeons are flat out awful, too many dead ends to count. The storyline contains a pseudo Star Wars plot with an evil emperor and a black knight that is in fact someone connected to the heroes who ends up helping defeat the emperor in the end. I didn't enjoy the story, but I will say at least there was more of an effort towards high stakes and character development compared to the first game. Though none of the moments stick out in memory, it was nice seeing the first appearance of series mainstays, Chocobos, Sid, Dragoons and a Leviathan, and I enjoyed the rotating cast of the fourth character slot, even if they were used as plot devices instead of characters. I would not recommend anyone play Final Fantasy 2, but I would say listen to the music. He just summarised the entirety of what we've been talking about into like two and a half minutes of text. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. More of a fan of the uh, the, uh, the the conversational system than, than we were, perhaps. But that's good to hear. But still hated the game, pretty much. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's summarise. This is, uh, I think, as with Zelda 2, uh, I think we considered this perhaps something of a, a hump, although I've been... Now people are warning me about Final Fantasy 3, so <laughs> we'll see in two months' time. But... Um, yeah, Josh, was Final Fantasy 2 a hump for you? Were you are you glad to have uh, ticked it off your gaming bucket list? Um, I think I, I went into this expecting, you know, a Zelda 2 type experience, and I, I, I didn't find that to be the case. Like, Zelda 2 was a genuinely heartbreaking and frustrating experience for me whereas um this this was more of a mixed bag and and there was stuff in here that i really liked like i i think the as clunky as it is and you know unpolished as it is i think the leveling system was um really interesting and, and much more engaging than um what had come previous um i like that there's some context and some characters again not as you know it's not my favorite in the series um and i think you know these guys get better at it, uh, as they go along but there's 
there's something there for me to latch on to. And yeah, the, you know, the dungeons are a bit of a mess, but if you've got to walk through, they're, they're, they're pretty simple going, if a little bit uh, time-consuming and annoying. Um, it, it's I, Would I recommend this to someone now? I don't think I would. I, I think it's an interesting history lesson if you want to have it, um, you know, getting to see Chocobos for the first time and all of that stuff. But just as an enjoyable play experience, I think there's more fun to be had elsewhere. But ultimately, um, I, don't, I don't think this is the nadir of the series for me at all. I think, you know, I had more, I was more engaged with this than uh, Final Fantasy first which we'll get onto in a oh, later boy. issue. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's a flawed but interesting title. Hmm. Yeah, I would mostly agree with Josh. I wouldn't necessarily recommend anyone who wasn't playing through all the numbered Final Fantasy games to play Final Fantasy 2. As Josh says, there are so many alternatives and options. As I always say, coming away from these games, I'm so glad that I've finally got or given myself the opportunity to complete this and to see uh, the development of JRPGs going back fairly early. Uh, I didn't detest it, but again, there were times when I was thinking I have to play Final Fantasy 2 when I would rather be playing X, Y or Z, whatever other game. And so that isn't really a great sign that, you know, that I, I was head over heels in love with this game. But generally, once I started playing, it was a pleasant enough time. Certainly the uh, the smoothings that the GBA version uh, brought to it in terms of interface and leveling up and things like that certainly helped the situation. And, and I actually, I'm with Josh. I, I found the, I thought the leveling system was a, a flawed but interesting attempt at doing something to give the player slightly more agency in, in how their, their game plays out. Uh, but also obviously it is easily broken and ultimately proved wildly unpopular. So um happy to have, played this uh, I will now be eBaying my Final Fantasy 1 and 2 Dawn of Souls <laughs> cartridge uh, it's worth a few quid I understand uh, it's in quite good nick uh, check out my eBay in the next few weeks for that uh, no it probably be already gone by the time you hear this um, yeah I'll take it off you if no one else wants it okay for uh, 50 quid John. Um, it's yeah it's it's that sort of I'm looking at that sort of wow. price yeah uh, it's it's a rare um and I'm also, my middle-aged eyes are also pleased. As much as the Game Boy Advance Micro is one of the coolest consoles ever made in, in many ways, uh, I'm quite looking forward to moving on to the next three games on the PlayStation Vita, which which has a screen that's about four times the size. And uh, that will be, uh, yeah, my, my, my old peepers will thank me for it. Leah, how about you? So if you have to say that you didn't hate it and it was okay once you got started, it's it's maybe not the best Final Fantasy. I love this series. I really do. And I promise that that's going to come forward in some later <laughs> some later uh, episodes. But um, I am not a fan of Final Fantasy 2. I, I don't particularly like the leveling system. I do enjoy that, um, as we've talked about, uh, there are some firsts in the series. Of course, I like the Chocobos. And uh, I, I enjoy that the characters actually are getting to be characters rather than just um, kind of dolls that you dress up in whatever outfit you want. Although I do like mm. job systems and we'll get back to that later as well. But mm. um, yeah, I th there are some things that are very nice and that I uh, that I enjoy about 
this game, but overall, I I have to go with what people have been saying so far and say that there are better entries in this series. There are better JRPGs that you could play that have some of these features. I don't think that I could recommend this game to anybody who uh, hasn't played it previously. If, like me, you have played most of Final Fantasy games and you really want to finish out the list, you're probably not going to hate it, but it's not... It's... I I don't think that I really want to play this game again, and um, that's something that I don't often say about Final Fantasy games. Yeah, right. <laughs> Oh man, it's it's going to fall on me to say some positives about yeah, this game. Be nice. <laughs> Give it a go. I will be nice. Don't worry. Um, I re- I really enjoyed playing this as much as I clearly had a probably not optimal, slightly weird, convoluted, maybe much more complicated than it needed to be if I had to just follow the walkthrough uh, ex- experience with this game. Um, honestly. I'm still very much in that period where I've only played a handful of JRPGs and. I think I'm still in a honeymoon experience <laughs> of I'm just enjoying this genre as much as anything else. And maybe my mind is going to be completely blown over the course of the next three or four games uh, with what they, the potential that they actually can achieve compared to these first two Final Fantasy games. But for what it was worth, uh, I think the majority of the problems that I had with this, uh, I didn't mention a huge amount, but was more based on the fact that I played this on my phone and I didn't really enjoy playing it on my phone. I would have preferred to have played it on a PSP or a Game Boy Advance or a more dedicated gaming console. But yeah. I liked I liked the kind of minimalist and cliched story. It kind of felt familiar and I enjoyed being able to customize my characters to an extent to turn them into the people that I wanted them to be and that felt good and I, I liked a lot of the enemy design and I I enjoy those weird, convoluted, you know, dead-end, monster-in-a-box dungeons because that's the gameplay to me is suddenly, you know, six weird worm things pop up on the screen and you have to destroy them. And every single time I came out of a battle, you know, with very, very few exceptions, at least one character would level something up. Mm. So if you enjoy that sort of progression feeling, if that tickles your brain, this game is going to do it like crazy, especially when you come out of a battle and see, you know, 10 things that were just cycles through. Mm -hmm. This happened, this happened, this happened. It feels really good. And I I like that a lot. And I'm, I'm as a bit of me that having looked forwards at the future games, I'm slightly disappointed that, I believe that these two are the only games that have this art style uh, going forwards. I've got three and four on the DS and they're both considerably different looking. And then five and six, I guess, are more actual SNES looking games than this redone, you know, PSP version. So I'm, I'm going to miss the the kind of pastely color portraits and stuff of the characters, exactly how this game looks. I've, I've really cottoned on to the design of this. So yeah, I, I enjoyed this. It's it's probably a really difficult recommend because I seem to be the only person here who's said anything seriously positive. And it also may be worth mentioning, although kind of not at the same time, hmm. uh, in, the, in between the two podcasts that we've done about these two games, um, Polygon put out that article ranking all the Final Fantasy games in order, which, you know, is pretty pointless and futile really to do that yeah 
But it's, it is worth pointing out that I believe Final Fantasy 2 was either the bottom or the second bottom. Mm-hmm. So if I enjoyed this one, I'm really looking forward to seeing where it's going from here. And I take that as a huge positive. If I've liked the worst one, then... Yeah. The twist is that you really end up hating Seven. Yeah, well, maybe. (laughs) Could happen. (laughs) You never know. Excellent stuff. Well, I think we'll all be back in two months' time, or thereabouts, to talk about that next game in the numbered series, Final Fantasy III. But it remains for me, Leon, to thank John, Josh and Leah, as well as our correspondents, our editor, Ryan, plus, of course, all of you for listening. And remember, if you have enjoyed this podcast and appreciate the effort and the time we put in, please subscribe to it, rate it, review it, or even best of all, a dollar a month at patreon.com slash rinse And you'll get every show a week earlier than non-subscribers. And you'll get a little bonus monthly mini cast with me and Jay as well. Next time, in issue 307, Leon is joined by Claire Redfield, Ada Wong and Brian Irons as we return to Raccoon City for our Resident Evil 2 podcast.